0: lean into the uncertainty and ambiguity because your relevance does depend on it and you can learn to adapt this is not a made up we can learn so there's a way to ensure your relevance which is to embed that adaptability but yeah don't shy away from it it's here lean in embrace it and remain relevant and continue to be the best version of you welcome to the thriving and
1: complexity podcast i'm your host suzanne libertilia And I'd love for you to join me as I peek behind the scenes of complex situations and workplaces and interview leaders and experts who will challenge your thinking, inform and inspire your leadership so you and your team can thrive in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world we live in. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Karen Fuster. Karen is the founder and director of a consultancy called Change 2020. She spent the last 25 years working with Australian business leaders to help them manage workplace disruption. How relevant is that today? Karen's experience spans a diverse range of sectors, and there's quite a long list here. It includes utilities, superannuation, aged care, education, retail, health, construction, and finance. She's worked with leading Australian and global businesses, and she focuses on transformation, leadership development, coaching, and embedding culture change programs so that businesses can flourish and perform. She's a trusted confidant for leaders. She's coached some of Australia's leading CEOs, And as you can tell, she's worked across diverse industries, but she also has a talent for balancing straight talking and humour. Karen and Change 2020 have conducted some groundbreaking academic research with the Queensland University of Technology, otherwise known as QUT. And that research focuses on leaders' resilience and tolerance to ambiguity. And we all know that's an essential trait for responding to disruption And uncertainty in the workplace. I absolutely love talking to people who prompt you to think about what you know, but to think about it in a different way. Karen is absolutely one of those people. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome, Karen. It's lovely to have you on the podcast today. I'm just wondering to help our listeners get to know a little bit more about you, would you be happy to share something
0: that a lot of people might not know about you? Sure. It's an interesting question. I guess that the thing, that, and it still surprises me about myself as well, is on MBTI, I'm a 30 for extroversion. And people who do know me know I love a chat and I'm often the one to lead a conversation. But when I have to go to meet people and I've got to go into a crowded room and I don't know exactly where they're going to be, that actually creates a bit of anxiety and stress in me. And I really want—I want to walk into a room with someone which it I don't kind of get it either because it's not as so though terrible <laughs> things going to happen, but I just get this this sense of oh god, you're there by yourself. So yeah, th- I think people would be surprised to know that I, I too can get a bit overwhelmed by people, despite my extroversion.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that difference between extroversion and and confidence coming into unfamiliar situations.
0: I would agree. Yeah.
1: As well. Yeah. Yeah. So Karen, with the work that you've done, you've worked with organisations dealing with lots of different complexity, what are some of the types of leadership blind spots that you see doing the most damage in organisations today?
0: You know, it's I really like this question because I think everyone is honestly doing the best. They are doing the best they can given the difficult circumstances. I think one of the blind spots is the hope that this is actually going, this too shall pass. And I don't believe this too shall pass. I believe that we're in current state and where we are. And so I think that, that hope that once things just calm down a bit, it'll be easier. So there's not necessarily enough te- attention paid to creating a place where it's okay to say, I'm scared, I'm frightened. So the whole concept of psychological safety, Yeah, I don't think that there's an appreciation that that is, we know that if the leader doesn't create that, then it really does not flow across the rest of the organisation. And I think there's also, I see a challenge where the leader might be assuming that, yes, we've got a significant workload. Yes, it's complex and it's new and unfamiliar, but we'll be okay. I'm not sure they quite understand how others are dealing with that stress and what the sense and impact is on their well-being. So I, I do get concerned about that, that keep going, keep going, keep going, at what cost? And I think that the leader often has much more transparency because they're dealing with the board, all the key stakeholders, etc., and they have a better understanding. And as you move through an organisation, I do think that you see possibly high risk levels of stress, anxiety, and general wellbeing is not at the level it should be. So, so I do think that paying more attention to this is not going to pass and people need some new skills to be able to deal with this modern way of working.
1: Yeah. And... Karen, the challenge there is how do you as the leader not get sucked into sharing all of your feelings about the uncertainty and having that sort of spread like a contagion through your team but at the same time create a space where they f- they can talk about how they're feeling about things and, and know that they're going to be listened to with empathy and understanding?
0: Mm.
1: Any tips that you can give people on, on how to create
0: that? Yeah, look, I, I think you are right. Like we don't want our leaders to be, you know, saying, oh, my God, I'm just so overwhelmed, I'm so stressed, I don't know what's happening. That that does nothing to provide comfort for anyone. Yeah. But then presenting themselves as a very human person is really important, obviously, and also giving people the opportunity to be heard. So making themselves available so they can truly listen and they don't need to fix So empathy, you're right, is the right word. It's not about, oh, here's the solution. But I really think it's super important that where we can, we provide clarity. So I think that all of us, well, we know our brains feel happier when we know what's going on, when we feel we're in control. So if a leader can actually provide some clarity to people, that really will, it does help them. It helps people to understand that, you know, for the next three weeks or four weeks or five weeks, it's going to be really tricky but then we think it may slow down a little bit before it heats up again. So giving people some clarity over certainty, uh, definitely listening, but also being very human and say, I understand it is hard, isn't it? It's harder than what we expected it to be. And here are some of the challenges I'm having, Yeah. but this is also how I'm moving through it.
1: Yeah. And I like the fact that you don't open with that as the leader. You create the opportunity for someone to open up and then you share that yes, you might be feeling uncomfortable too, this is hard, Mm. and we'll support each other to work through this, but it's so important that we keep talking about those feelings Mm. as they're coming up so that they don't become overwhelming and we don't
0: get frozen by those feelings, yeah. Absolutely, and that probably comes back to the very first point about creating that psychological safety. Yeah. If I don't feel that I can actually have that conversation, I won't, and I'm gonna keep it inside. And we know what the rollout of that is, you know, burnout, etc. or people don't say anything and they just decide to exit. And suddenly you're thinking, how do we not see that? Or you didn't provide an opportunity where the person could actually say, today, I'm actually, I'm a bit worried. These are the things that are going on for me at work, but also what, this is what's going on for me in my life. Yes. I'm worried about the kids at the school or, you know, whatever it might be. There's lots of different elements of it. So the leader must go first in terms of creating that psychological safety, and then they also need to be very human and empathetic in that time as well. Yeah. And I always
1: one of the things that continually surprises me, even though there's lots of awareness now around psychological safety is people still say, "Oh, but I'm so nice to my team. we all get on so well. yeah, but why didn't they tell me because they don't understand it's actually about creating an environment where people feel safe to take into yeah, a risk interpersonally and share something about themselves that they could get a reaction that they don't want. So I think that's such a big challenge for leaders to be conscious of that
0: all the time. Most definitely, and you would know this as well through coaching, the things that people tell you that they would not tell their leader or they would not tell, like if they're in an exec team, they would not tell their peer group for fear of being considered to be weak or not up to the job or complaining. Mm. But for all those reasons, it's really easy to see. therefore, we don't have the psychological safety because that should not be how it's working. But unfortunately, it is consistently as I see it across organizations.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now, you've been involved in the development of a tool that would be one of those things that leaders having insights around indicator of ambiguity or the I am tool could actually help them understand what's going on. In their workplaces and how they might actually do some things differently to cultivate a greater level of safety within the workplace. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that tool and why organisations might want their people to know more about why it's important to have a tolerance for ambiguity?
0: Yeah, sure. So the assessment basically does give you an insight as to your level of comfort with ambiguity and uncertainty in the workplace know how likely you are to become a risk taker or lean into really complex problems or conversely how likely you are to want to try and avoid them it also looks at what tools and techniques can you use to make sure you are actively managing the uncertainty and the ambiguity in the workplace and the fact of the matter is that leaders everywhere that their fundamental job other than being decisive is to be able to lead effective and efficient teams in this dynamic way of working And whether it's the the fact that it's a hybrid way of working or we're going through mergers, acquisitions, demergers, market changes, globalization, geopolitical elements, there's so many aspects of the impacting leaders and it's daily, I believe. So therefore having some understanding of what's my instinctive response to all this degree of uncertainty when I don't know the answer, when I haven't seen this before, when I can't lean back on old learnings, what do I tend to do? So the assessment gives people an insight about that personally and also across their team. But really importantly, it also says, and here's some some behaviours and habits and traits you can put in place to start to address them. And for me, why is it important? I honestly believe, this might sound a bit harsh, but I believe that people's individual relevance is dependent on their ability to embrace and understand uncertainty and ambiguity. Yeah, Because if we're trying to continually do things the way we always did them, yet the workplace, the world isn't allowing us to do that anymore, then you do risk relevance as a leader, as a subject matter expert, if you're not able to move forward through that. So like any good assessment, it gives you a moment in time. This is where I am. This is where I want to get to. How might I go about doing that?
1: Yeah. And my understanding, there's quite a lot of tips or activities that people can do to actually build a greater tolerance for ambiguity. But I think I know we've previously had a conversation about some of the interesting things that you learnt yourself yeah. when you did the assessment. Mm. What did you learn about yourself when you did it?
0: Well, it's firstly I learned that I was pretty quick to judge and say the tool obviously doesn't work because this can't be right. There. I'm the one who lives in this space, and suddenly it turns out I'm not so not so good in some areas. So there's three dimensions that the assessment measures, which is your comfort with ambiguity your desire for challenging work and risk, and then managing the uncertainty. So I honestly did, and it's using a Leichhardt scale of very mild to very clear, and it's been benchmarks, etc. cetera. So I, I had comfort that I would be quite uh, towards clear or very clear across all those dimensions. But apparently, no, the managing the uncertainty was I was right down the other end of the scale, like all the way down to on the border of very mild to mild. And I honestly thought, no, this is... That can't be right because I started a change management consultancy some, what, 15 plus <laughs> years ago. How on earth can I do this? But then my team were quite quick to point out that that's exactly a blind spot for me that I use a technique which is, I thought, quite endearing, which is don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We'll work this out, this problem, this situation, this scenario, whatever it is, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. But that's absolutely not a strategy. It's kind of like, you know, hoping is not a strategy. We had to put some plans and actions in place, of which I would not do. My approach was very much say, I'll shoulder it. But then they would say, but you don't. You actually don't do anything about it. So for me, understanding that my management technique of uncertainty and ambiguity really was causing stress, because it really was causing stress, frustration, extra work for my team was quite... Honestly, it's actually been one of my greatest insights I've had because I just didn't expect it. And so I, I actively work on that, yeah. you know, to make sure people are informed. I pay attention to what plans need to be put in place. I'm conscious of hearing myself saying, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Because I don't have any evidence of that. That's just my me being a bit, you know, bolshy and bold about it. But I don't have any evidence to support that. Yeah. And if I come all the way back to our chat a little bit earlier, providing clarity is critical for people's well-being and their performance. I was the number one offender at not doing that. So it's an ongoing development I'm doing. my bit of self-coaching. My team certainly helps remind me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a, an amazingly unexpected insight.
1: Yeah, I think, I know when I did the tool, I had a similar insight because I'd always, like you, prided myself on my ability to really cope really well in very, very complex environments and be able to pivot and shift when I needed to. And like you, the tool gave me some insight into how frustrating that must have been for everyone else around me Mm. because there were things that you just know from previous experience that. Look, this is going to shift. Yes, It's not going to stay this way or we don't have enough information yet. There's no point overly planning because it's all going to change. And I think it comes back to what you were saying about that clarity, being able to say to people, actually, the reason why I'm not fussed at the moment, or I don't think we should spend our time doing that is we don't have enough information. We actually need to wait for this and this and this to play out. And then we can have a conversation So like you, I'm now much more conscious of how I'm actually articulating that to the people around me because I'm processing it in my head, I'm comfortable, yes, but
0: then realizing that they're not. (laughs) Absolutely. And you saying, taking the time to say, the reason we're not worried about this at the moment will be A, B, and C. That's the key. So the assumption that because you and I are comfortable, because you live in a world of complexity and I live in a world of ambiguity in terms of our core work area, of course, well, ideally that means we're pretty happy in this space, but to make the assumption that all are, and look, our research and the data indicates that only around about 10% of people have got that really clear comfort or tolerance of ambiguity, which includes the ability to manage it as well. So So I'm not in that. I always assumed I would be, but I'm not because I have to keep on working on uh, the third dimension.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think you and I learned something very interesting out of the tool about ourselves. What are some of the other things that other leaders have been learning about themselves with the tool?
0: Yeah, so one of the techniques that we use is because obviously we're very familiar that the definition of resilience is to bounce back, And so in the beginning of the pandemic, we proactively worked with a lot of our clients and and using the terminology, well, how do you bounce forward and using adaptability. And one of the areas that we start with is to imagine if, you know, what might the future look like? I think that when people are so overwhelmed and so stuck that there's a tendency for people to stop, and that's probably the worst thing that we can do. So let's at least go, where do we want to get to? So how do you unlock that, you know, the inertia? How do you move away from ruminations? And so we worked with a lot of clients to help them define, and that wasn't a five-year plan. That was like, let's get to Christmas time. Just starting to look at what that might be. But also a lot of our clients have spoken about paying more attention to curiosity, that unfortunately as adults, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, knowledge is power, or I don't want to be seen as though I don't know, or I don't want to ask the awkward question. I believe there's an appalling lack of curiosity in in, um, our boardrooms and uh, execs. So people really understanding the value of curiosity, building that back into and, and having frameworks within their business. So they're not trying to rush to the solution, but let's step back, take the time. Have we asked different questions? And also inviting diversity into how to solve those problems and how to navigate at least a step forward. So navigate to where we think we want to go. So let's visualize that and unlock those hesitations. And then people will very much talk about adopting that curious mindset. And creativity, interestingly, is one of the most highly correlated skills to building a tolerance for ambiguity. And it makes total sense. It's about how do we think differently? And we have to think differently because the situation or the circumstances are different. So again, letting people know that possibly the style of thinking and problem solving that got you to this point is not necessarily going to take you to that next point. And therefore, by going out and asking other people, how might you look at this, and inviting diverse ideas into those conversations, I think that's been something that people say they're doing. But now if you put it into more of a, a, this is the way we do it, so a way of working almost, because of the fact that we're in this world of uncertainty, and we will be, in my view, for a long, long time, if not forever. Therefore, we have to do things differently. So not just saying we're doing it, but putting in models around it. So that's that's certainly some of the work that we've been doing with our clients to change the way that they're using decision-making techniques and problem-solving techniques by looking at how do they currently respond to ambiguity.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the challenges when, I mean, tools like this are fantastic because they help you as a leader get a level of awareness you might not have had. But the challenge is always, how do you put it into practice Mm. in the moment? And so I like the fact that it actually talks about these are the things that you might like to practice doing so that people can actually go into those moments and think, I need to suspend judgment, I need to listen to learn yes how am i inviting in multiple perspectives before i make a decision about what's going on here so that it really sits very nicely with a whole approach to help you thrive in complexity
0: absolutely
1: so karen if people would like to find out more about the indicator of ambiguity tool or i am how can they go about doing that so
0: our business is called adaptic mind so it's adapt a d a p t IQ Minds. And if they go to that website, they can see how they can, you know, us find out more about it. But also, there's workshops and coaching programs. The other thing is that we have a number of accredited coaches as well in our network who also are utilizing the tool. But going to adapticminds.com in the first instance is uh, where they can find out some information about that.
1: Great. And Karen, this isn't the only thing that you do because I know you've been running a change consultancy a very um, substantial period of time Mm. and you've been involved in a whole range of quite complex projects and working with clients in very difficult situations through the pandemic. So what type of leadership approaches did you observe that you felt worked best in those very complex situations?
0: Mm. Yeah, look, it was confusing, wasn't it? But we I think that the significance of the unknown that people were dealing with in their personal life, so empathy for their partners, their children, their loved ones, their community, that was taking up a lot of headspace. And then of course we've got these other, you know, this large workplace. So I look I honestly think one of the areas of strength that I saw was people recognizing saying, I don't have all the answers, but I am going to make a decision to move forward. And if it's wrong then we'll do something different. So that real focus on being decisive and then letting people know, say, well, that one didn't work, we're going to go back. What I did see significantly at the beginning of the pandemic was we'll just wait, we'll just wait. We haven't got all the information or we're not sure this is how this is going to play out. And I think that when I see people still going with that approach, and it's not because of the pandemic now, it's because still this desire to be comfortable with... I want to make a decision when I've got 95% of the information or the data. Our world's not going to enable that. So, if you choose to wait, then you either get ran past or ran over. And I certainly saw that in the beginning of the pandemic. So, I think those who were decisive and communicated that decision and then were really happy to say, nope, got that one wrong. Let's, uh, let's cause correct. Those who were also focusing on being very, very present. So, recognizing that the way that people had to communicate was quite different obviously we were doing significant screen time and being prepared to adapt their styles. so those were highly adaptable so I need to adapt how I communicate I need to be much more intentional because the impact I'm having by not contacting people in the absence of me contacting someone via you know Teams or Zoom or Skype or whatever it might have been people are then left to wonder well why not What's happening, and that absence of having a present leader is significantly problematic. So, I think that being decisive, being present, obviously, communication, there's no danger at any time, I think, in a large complex environment that you can over communicate. So, those that absolutely prioritize that. And those who also, coming back to what we said earlier, were very human to say, we need to look after each other. So, that they set up buddy programs and you know, the virtual coffee catch-ups and the Friday afternoon, let's just come back together and see how we're going. So, but not just to be done because we should, done because it means something to me and I need to connect with my people. So those who understood that connection, whilst it may not be ideal, was critical. I think there's some of the behaviours that I saw that really created the trajectory in the right direction and got a bit of momentum going early
1: and i think it's really interesting isn't it because there's quite a linkage between the connection and the decisiveness mm. because if you're not connected you're not then able to sense when the direction you're heading in is the wrong one so you really mm. you want to be decisive but you also need to be hooked in and ready to get a feel for when you not, might need to change direction or do something differently or completely stop what you're doing because it's just heading in absolutely the wrong direction so I think that's the challenge, isn't it, that people have a plan and they think, oh, I'm going to be decisive. This is my plan and I'm going to stick with my plan, but they're ignoring everything else that's going on around them. So if you're not connected to your team and and hearing, it goes back to psychological safety, about what are those early signs of what's not working,
0: mm. you're really setting
1: yourself up for lots
0: of pain. It's a really good insight. And I hadn't actually done that that connection as clearly as you have there, that People need to be able to, you know, we're better when we belong. We know that we're tribal. We like to know, you know, where we fit in. But it's such a good barometer, isn't it, to check in on that, the decisiveness and the pace through that connection. Because in the absence of really knowing how the impacts are playing out across the business, then you could, as you say, very intentionally say, well, this is the plan and this is how we're going to move forward but that's actually having a significant negative impact or it's not going to move the dial. Yeah. So yes, they're they're very closely related.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know when I headed up a fairly significant reform transition office a number of years ago, way before the pandemic. Yeah. I learned very early on how important it was to, you know, the value of coffee catch ups or sending people out just to have an informal conversation with someone and get a sense of are they actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? Do they get it? And then not just relying on people at the top who have responsibility to say, oh, no, we're all on track. You know, there's no problems here. (laughs) We used to actually send our own little team out to sense what was happening and then know what questions to ask so we could be more curious in governance meetings about what was really going on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, super important. Yeah. You definitely want to push down through the layers to go, is this really sticking? Is it making a difference? And how's it really going to play out? So totally agree with that
1: yeah yeah anything you suggest people should avoid doing at all costs because you've seen
0: it just not work at all? Yeah, the waiting do not wait for that crystal ball to present itself. and I think the other thing is don't assume you've got to take this all on your own. you've got a team around you, you've got clever people you there's lots of people who make decisions, so go to your broader network and make sure that you are checking in I, I definitely think that there was a sense of significant responsibility and that makes sense. But you're human too. It's okay to say, I've got no clue at the moment. Not to the whole business, but to, you know, some of your confidants and those and (laughs) the exec team with you to say, we have to at least go, what are we doing for the next week? What do you think? Uh, I think I did see some execs in particular or CEOs in particular who would say, I'll find a way and we'll let's go this way. So so don't do the waiting and also don't keep it all to yourself. Oh, and the other thing would be don't sacrifice your well-being to say, well, we're just going to keep moving forward. If we don't have a well leader, and I mean that mentally and physically, and someone who's got, you know, looking after their diet and their their sleep and their exercise, then that's not going to do anyone the service we need. Those who can role model everything that I've said in the opposite. So be exercising, make sure that you're not being stuck all the time and that you are actually engaging. They're the things that I think are you know, substantially obvious strengths in leadership anyway, but even more so with all the complexity and, and our world in in the way that it operates now. That one I think is so important
1: because I know myself, that's a trap I've fallen into on a number of occasions. When things get really, really tough, you're so focused on looking after the team that you're working with and making sure they're all okay that it's really easy to forget to put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And I think the pandemic's really drawn that out for people about just how critical it is that we focus on put your own oxygen mask on first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree more. So,
1: Karen, in your own words, what does thriving in complexity mean to you?
0: Look, I think it's about being able to maintain your well-being and perform so that you're basically adapting to the environment. You're not being so you're not stuck and wedded to perfection, you're the one that's saying, This is going to be good enough. So I've, you know, working with some CEOs and one CEO said to me recently, we need to be brave enough to make a decision with only 60% of the information, because it could take months to get the other, even 20% to get to a comfort of 80. And I, I really admire that. Yeah. This particular CEO is also really brave and would say, you know what, didn't get that one right. We need to make a different decision. So I think that making sure that we're looking after ourselves, and during that period of time, and backing ourselves, and just saying, "I don't have all the information. I never will have it all," and moving through there. Performance, obviously, there's no point in just having an organisation where everyone's connected and feeling good, and our wellness is, you know, that uh, paramount. If we're not actually delivering, so we have to be able to keep on performing and moving forward. So those I think who are thriving in complexity, they're adapting. They're looking for trends, they're asking great questions, and they're able to look after, as I say, their own well-being and perform, and they're, they're continuing to move forward. Those who are stuck, those who are too fearful to take that first step for fear of failure or just feeling that sense of overwhelm, they're the ones that I guess I worry about a bit more and, and they're the total opposite to thriving, and they're the ones who I think that their relevance is at risk.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just curious, in terms of if you saw someone in that situation, what's one step in a more positive direction that they could take?
0: So, generally speaking, I'll ask them to tell me a bit about the story. Then they're telling themselves, so they'll have limiting beliefs. They'll have that, you know, that mean girl or that nasty guy in there to so tell them they can't do something. And I'll ask them, "Is that a fact or a belief?" Let's work out what's true, and then. Because 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10, those thoughts are unhelpful and they're they're actually holding us back. So firstly, I'll get them to identify, you know, what's a fact? And then the question is, what would be the worst thing that would happen if you just took one step forward? And then what's conversely, what's going to happen if we stay here? My experience, Suzanne, and, and I anticipate you have the same, is that people know a lot about this. They're just fearful to take that step forward and they're not necessarily very kind to themselves. So they'll listen to that cranky voice inside that's saying, you can't, you won't, you shouldn't, you'll fail. And when you have somebody external to say, let's work out whether this is actually true or just a belief or just a thought. And then that what's the worst thing that could happen? I actually think that's such a useful way. One, it builds a bit of courage, but it also builds ownership back for yourself to say, this little voice in my head is unwelcome. She's not friendly. In actual fact, she's pretty mean. I need to speak a little bit louder about what I know. So that would be something that I would do and do do because, um, you know, your question's a great one. If there was one thing you could do, it's simple, it's free, and you can have control of that.
1: Yeah. I always like the when you start unpacking people's perceptions, particularly self-perceptions, digging in and trying to understand but what's the worst that could happen Mm. if you just took that first step and is that something that you're okay with you know it's probably not as bad and I know myself you get yourself so worked up and then you do it and then it's like oh what was the big deal
0: (laughs) I don't know why I was so worried about it absolutely and the amount of time that we waste and then we're ruminating on it and yeah I think it's a really really important one and as I say and what's going to happen if you don't move and people are very infrequently happy to just stay there. Yeah. So it is about, and the other one, I guess, is, you know, if you cast your mind forward to six weeks or six months from now, will people remember this, that, you know, you took that step and it didn't quite work? Or, you know, yeah. how important is it in the grand scheme of your life or your role in this organisation, which sometimes I think allocate way too much importance on getting it right instead of actually just mm-hmm. doing something.
1: I was actually coaching someone yesterday and they're feeling a bit overwhelmed by some things that were going on. We talked about, worked up a strategy, which was take a big deep breath. Yes. And then think, okay, who cares about this? <laughs> yeah. What's the impact? And does it matter?
0: <laughs> it's brilliant.
1: And in most cases, you know, the answer was it was actually, I care, has no impact, and I'm the only one that it matters to. So I'm doing this to myself.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned take the big breath. We we cannot underestimate the power of, and I say it to people all the time, including my kids who are probably a bit fed up with hearing it. I am breathing, mum. I don't need to take any more breaths. It's like, no, it's a different breath. (laughs) And how to just give yourself that opportunity to go, okay. Let's just calm it all down. And then I'll say also, now pick up a pen and paper. Don't type. Don't talk into your phone. Actually be intentional. Write down how you're feeling, what's happening, to bring it to life a bit. And again, as you say, often it's, gosh, I can't believe I wasted half an hour of my life or worse still, a week of my life worrying about that when, as you say, the impact is, you know, is minor, if any.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious if you've ever been faced with a complex situation that afterwards you wished you had managed differently.
0: Mm, for sure. Actually, the one, I guess, so in Brisbane, we had those significant floods at the end of February and I had some friends up from Sydney, uh, twins and, and their mother, and their mum's mid-70s. And the rain, for those who are in Brisbane, know that it just kept on falling and falling and falling. And... I guess as where we live, as we're watching our road get closed and the park get filled up and the water rise and rise, I used my approach, which as I've mentioned already, does not work well, which is don't worry about it. I've lived here for 20 years. It will not come in the house. It's going to be okay. And not only did it come in the house, we lost the whole bottom of our house. Oh, no. And what I guess my learning from that was that we had to get six people out of the house. We needed to move as rapidly as we could I was worried about my friend's mum, who was a bit older. I had a big fat dog, We needed, and he was upset, and I needed to get out. And the complexity of that, I guess, was I hadn't seen this before. So this was really unfamiliar to me, but I thought I had seen it. I thought I could apply what I already knew. And so if I had my time over again, we would have got out of the house much earlier because when we finally left, we couldn't get anywhere. And some beautiful neighbours who I'd never met, took six of us and and my dog in for the night which was amazing and I'm ever so grateful for that. But my thinking is if I had have done that differently, who am I to say I'm an expert in floods in Brisbane? I'm clearly not and yet I thought I'd seen it before and I think that's what it is around ambiguity is we haven't seen this before so therefore you need to respond differently. I would have got out of the house earlier. We would have lifted things up sooner from downstairs. Yeah. We would have, you know, not been so frantic in terms of having nowhere to stay, things like that. So it was an interesting reflection. And it was also, it was pretty emotional. And it was, I, you know, when fear comes up, it's harder to make decisions. And yet I think I let myself get to that position and I didn't need to. I could have done it differently. So that complexity and that, that's an area of frustration for me for sure. But a learning, a learning.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so true because often people don't understand the difference between complicated and complex. So with when things are complex, you only know afterwards <laughs> why it happened. Cause and effect only becomes apparent later, whereas when it's complicated, you can get the expert in who knows how to follow the secret recipe and you know work their way through the maze to finally find the answer. But with complexity, it is just feeling as you go. And it's so that tolerance of ambiguity and understanding how you respond and how you respond impacts other people, which is what I really learned from the indicator of ambiguity tool has, you know, is so important because it is a whole series of little experiments. You're trying to sense all the time what's happening and adjust as you go and. I know a lot of people talk about the difference between technical and adaptive leadership, but really when you're in complexity and ambiguity, you're having to continually interpret yes. what's going on and make sense of those things that are happening around you, which is challenging. And I think you do have to be kind to yourself and to other people because you're not going to get it right all the time.
0: Without doubt. I mean, I think that that's a great way to put it. That That's why that you know mckinsey talk about adaptability being the evergreen leadership skill and i couldn't agree more that if we're not reading what's happening and responding so yes we eventually got out of the house but it was to the point where then we were stuck about where to stay because we couldn't move our cars because the water kept on rising so i was too late to be responsive interestingly one of my friends who was with us so she has lived around the world globally and she is an expert in Uh, customer experience and so she was very very good at being able to say these are the things we need to do so for example she said we need to get you you need to get your passports get your license get some id and i remember when she was saying that i was thinking why would we be doing this well we're doing it because the water's still rising and we don't know how far it's going to come up and you might find yourself in a circumstance where you need to find a way to even get back in uh, for whatever reason but she was so right and i didn't have I was totally, I was nowhere near that. Could have friends who are different than you, as you could imagine. So, uh, you know, she was uh, imperative, and she's a twin. So, her twin was as good at it. But my learning was most certainly is, don't pretend you're an expert in this area because you have never seen this before. So, when it started to come in the house and was above my knees, and it's going up further and further, and it just kept on going, go now, go sooner. Wow. Yeah, so that, that's probably – and it's a very recent one. Yeah. And our house is still a total disaster. So it's very top of mind, to be honest. Lots of uh, work to be done yet till the house is in any sort of state.
1: Oh, that's a really hard situation to be in. I know one that so many people across Brisbane were really unexpectedly in because I know where we live – Someone, we had people coming over for lunch on the Saturday Mm. and they said, Oh, is there anywhere that we should avoid? And going, Oh, no, no, there's a few low dips in the road, but it's never flooded that we know of. Yes. You'll be fine. And then I've got a friend who lives not very far from us and. We all got stuck. We couldn't leave the area that we live in. And we're in the middle of nowhere, but there were always lots of ways out. You could always find a way through. Yes. And this was the first time he said in 30 years, Mm -hmm. everything was completely blocked. There was no way out. And so I can really relate to what you're saying. We were just really fortunate. We didn't have water go through the house. Mm -hmm. But I can just the scale of people being in the situation that you found yourself in. Because you've seen it before. Like that's oh yes, I recognise that pattern. Yes. It's going to be okay. And then the pattern changes. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. The absolute definition of ambiguity. Exactly. And as I say, lulled into a false sense of security is like, oh wow, I got that very, very wrong.
1: Yes. Yes. And it is so easy to fall because you think of oh, it simple, no, no, we know I know what this looks like. And then suddenly it changes. You fall into that period of chaotic activity trying to work out, okay, how do we get ourselves back to a more steady state?
0: Yes. And, yeah. That's right. That's absolutely right. And once the emotion takes over, it's really hard to do that as well. So, yeah, responding to that sooner, would have, with, that's my learning. And hopefully that stays top of mind for, well, it, obviously, hopefully I don't flood again, but just in general, I think I've seen this pattern. Hang on, the pattern's changing. Okay, I, now I need to adapt to that circumstance and do it differently.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like the idea that, you know, we all talk about experience and what you can learn through experience. And so intentional experimentation mm. can actually help you in a more controlled environment like a workplace, not a, an emergency sure. disaster situation, obviously. But those more safe to fail experiments can actually really give you that opportunity to increase the rate at which you're learning through experience.
0: Yeah. And that's the value, isn't it? And being able to have those conversations, as you say, it's safe to fail. And I think that's something that we hear, you know, fairly frequently across organisations. Failure is fine, fail fast and learn from the failure. I don't actually see that in action as much as I would like. Yeah. So we've been setting up and calling it these are our safe to fail workshops or, you know, conversations or whatever it might be. I think sometimes branding might be valuable because it doesn't necessarily play out. And again, because of the pace of the complexity that's coming along. They're like, we have to keep moving. Well, you know, we haven't seen it before. So of course we're going to get it wrong sometimes and it needs to be safe so that we can continue to move forward.
1: Yeah. And I really love how you've been talking a lot through our conversation today about what you learned. Mm. And I think that's another crucial thing when we're talking about how do you thrive in complexity. It's always thinking about, all right, what have I learned? What can I learn? It's not... This is too much because if you start focusing on it's too much, you then become that deer in the headlights that you weren't referring to really earlier. Yeah, most certainly. Yeah. So, Karen, if you could look back and give advice to your twenty-five-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself?
0: I would probably say be kind to yourself. So, if you've got that, you know, some of those voices saying you can't, just tell her she's not welcome. She's not your friend. She's not part of your life. So, I, I would address those limiting beliefs and i would also probably say you're enough whatever that looks like you will be enough and so just be you that authenticity of you know i think it's critical so not let's not do the comparing with the joneses or anyone else just you will be enough and when your little voice tells you maybe you're not just tell her she can leave now because she's not welcome so i would do that i would i would say that yeah to me yeah actually to anyone i would say that
1: that's lovely because comparisonitis is is can be quite crippling mm. and it it's a habit that it's really important to recognise when you're doing it isn't it and it's very easy to do
0: most definitely and then you're left with a situation of wondering you know what's it all about I, I didn't quite get to that well what what is that you know being clear on that you are enough who you are and that you know clear the pathway by just be kind to yourself and believe in yourself and let's see where you get to. Yeah. They're the type of things that I would yeah. definitely say to my 25-year-old self.
1: I think it's very sage advice. <laughs> <laughs> and so if people remember only one thing from what you've talked about today, Karen, what do you think is that one nugget that they can take away with them?
0: Oh, I think it would be, you know, lean into the uncertainty and ambiguity because your relevance does depend on it and you can learn to adapt. This is not a made up. We can learn. So there's there's a way to ensure your relevance, which is to embed that adaptability. But yeah, don't shy away from it. It's here. Lean in, embrace it and remain relevant and continue to be the best version of you. Don't let it trick you up.
1: Yeah. And because failing is an inherent part of adapting, you can't adapt unless you know what doesn't work.
0: Absolutely. That's right. And we only find out once we've taken that risk, been a bit brave and given it a go. Yeah. Wondering if would just be, well, we're not getting anywhere, are we? And, and our world doesn't really enable that anymore. It's, the pace is too fast.
1: Yeah. So, Karen, if our listeners wanted to connect with you online... How could they go about doing that?
0: Sure. So, uh, Karen Fuster, F E W S T E R, on LinkedIn. And I'm pretty active and have a look there. And also, you can contact, uh, get in contact with me via Adaptic Minds or my consultancy business, which is Change 2020. There's contact us uh, details on both those websites. And yeah, I love to connect with people and, and learn from others and hear about their experiences. And and get challenged on my thoughts and assumptions. I'm absolutely up for that. So yeah, happy to have a a conversation that where, you know, I learn, the other person learns, and we all move forward.
1: They're the best conversations, I think. Yes. And I've certainly, you've made me rethink some of the things that, that I hadn't quite seen that were going on just in our conversation
0: today. So thank you so much, Karen. Really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, no, thank you, Suzanne. I have too. And it's interesting, isn't it, that as a result of talking, you're right, you do learn or else an idea comes back and you think, I haven't addressed that one or I haven't explored that yet. So I too have learned from having a chat today. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
1: (laughs) No, thanks so much for being here.
0: Okay. Thanks
1: for listening. If you heard something you want to revisit or explore in more detail, you can check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you like helping others to open their thinking, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As always, a big thank you to Leon Fitton and the team at the Podcast Concierge. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.